Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. It is time for the tech news for Tuesday, September 28th, 2021. And first, let's follow up on uh, one of the recent Facebook stories, specifically the one about how Facebook researchers conducted an internal study that linked Instagram use with potential negative effects on mental health, particularly for teenage girls. Now, the head of Facebook's research department has posted on Facebook Newsroom that the conclusions that were drawn by the Wall Street Journal, which reported on all this, are inaccurate and do not reflect a proper interpretation of Facebook's data. But really, the post mostly is an indictment against <laughs> that her own department's research practices because she stated that the study in question 
only had 40 participants. That means that that sample size was way too small to allow for any kind of broad generalizations. Now, I actually agree with that because 40 is an incredibly small sample size for any kind of study. One might even argue that it really doesn't make any sense to conduct a study that has that small of a sample size, particularly if you are a, com a company that has a platform with more than a billion users, more than two billion users. Now, that does not mean that the findings are necessarily inaccurate, right? I mean, those findings might be 100% accurate. But rather than that, you can say, well, you can't be sure of that because the sample size is way too small. It may be that you just happen to have outliers and that if you did a larger sample size, any effect would disappear. And, you know, you just can't really say for sure to what, if any degree, Instagram contributes to negative mental health outcomes based on a study like that. But I will also say that her post feels a lot like Facebook is doing kind of a tightrope routine of saying, the data doesn't show that, but also saying the study isn't sufficient to draw conclusions from. Like, unless there's other data that Facebook has, and there may well be, but they haven't shared it, uh, then it's impossible to say. And because Facebook hasn't shared any extra information, there's no way to validate whether or not, you know, the arguments that this is inaccurate are true. This Thursday, Antigone Davis, the head of safety at Facebook, will appear before the Senate Commerce Subcommittee to answer questions about the company and its research on Instagram's effects. And I am sure that there will be some senators with some pretty pointed questions. We will have to see if Davis answers those in a straightforward way or if we get more of what we've seen in the past where Facebook kind of dances around answering things when it comes to accountability. In related news, Facebook has announced that it has put a temporary hold on its plans to launch an Instagram app aimed at kids under the age of 13. According to the head of Instagram, Adam Masseri, the decision to do this was in response to the public backlash that the company has faced, particularly in light of those Wall Street Journal stories I mentioned. He also took the time to lament that, you know, we all just have it all wrong. This new Instagram app isn't meant for little kids, he explained. It's meant for kids that are between the ages of 10 and 12. Now, I'm going to spare you my personal reaction to that particular response, because I, I think you could probably guess what it is. But he also tweeted out that kids are getting smartphones, like at younger ages. And then they go around and download apps and they misrepresent their ages in order to use those apps. So clearly, it would be better to make apps for the kids. I would say this doesn't explain how that stops kids from just continuing to download adult apps and to misrepresent their ages. Like, that doesn't seem to solve that problem. It's really just saying, hey, they're already on there, so what harm could we do by introducing more of what they're already on? If anything, this is really a call both to companies and to parents to take more steps to protect kids. And I think parents need to have a lot of that responsibility, but how we, you know, we can't give companies a get out of jail free card just because they have a token age verification system that doesn't actually verify ages. In my mind, that's just a type of security theater, right? You've got the appearance of security, but it's not actually making anything more secure. Now, that's my own personal opinion. I could be way off base. 
Mosseri argues that the app that uh, was planned for younger users would give parents more oversight into what their kids are doing. But I don't know. I mean, with every story that I cover in this vein, I am tempted to just go move into the woods and become a hermit. Except I know me. I would die of exposure within like two days. Uh, I'm I'm a soft city boy. But the urge to retreat is definitely there. The Chinese government is taking some pretty extreme steps to curb energy consumption and carbon dioxide emissions within the country. More than half of all China's electricity comes from coal power plants, something like 63% of it does. And while the country has committed to never building another coal power plant, it doesn't change the fact that right now, China largely runs on coal. The price of coal in China has been on the rise lately, and so energy costs have subsequently been going up. And of course, we have the carbon dioxide emissions issue. So to deal with these problems, China has started to cut off power to some major manufacturing centers in certain regions of the country, with the plan to potentially have a schedule in place for when those regions will be allowed to power these manufacturing centers and when those centers are going to go without power. Now, the hope is that doing all this will allow energy companies to get hold of some more commodities to offset production and stabilize prices, though there are some analysts who say that at best that would be like a temporary band-aid. But in the meantime, it means that it's not always going to be business as usual in China's manufacturing centers. And since a lot of the world's leading electronics companies depend upon Chinese factories, this could mean that some companies experience some production delays. Coupled with the ongoing semiconductor shortage, this could mean that we're in for uh, some tough times when it comes to consumer electronics. However, I should add that the semiconductor industry in particular will be allowed to continue to operate throughout this process. So China's not going to shut off power to facilities that are making semiconductor chips. Also, a lot of companies have facilities in different regions of China, and some regions are not affected by this. Some regions will continue and not be cutting off power to manufacturing centers. So those companies might just shift operations around as much as they can to offset any delays they would face due to the downtime. This next story needs a little bit of a lead-in. All right, so have you ever tried to log into a service, but you couldn't remember which password you used for it? So you try a few of your old standbys, and after three or so attempts, you get shut out and told that you can't try and log in again for several minutes. Well, that kind of system is in place to protect against a type of password attack called brute force. And with that name, you probably have a pretty good idea of how this works. Someone trying to access a system, you know, they don't have authorization, will end up submitting guess after guess in the password field, perhaps using a dictionary of common passwords to start off, and then moving beyond that to other guesses should the dictionary fail to score any hits. This is all done automatically, by the way. There are computer programs that are just meant to do this kind of attack. This is not a quick way to gain access to a system, but with a sufficiently powerful computer system behind it, you can get it done. It just takes time. So these protection systems are in place in order to prevent that, right? The brute force attack would take a lot longer to do because the attacker would regularly get shut out after giving a few incorrect uh, passwords. Another way that you can protect systems is to require two-factor authentication. So a password is one factor. It represents something you know. 
a two-factor authentication process would require either that you also submit something that you own, like your phone. So this is like when you try and log into something and a system sends you a text message with an access code that you need to put in in addition to your password. Or maybe it requires something that you are, like your biometric data, like a fingerprint scan, and it's used in connection with the password. These systems also protect against brute force because the attacker needs more than just the password in order to access the system. All right, now we've got all that out of the way, we can get to the actual story. Microsoft has a product called Azure Active Directory or Azure AD, and Apparently, it has neither of those protections in place. It is a single-factor authentication system, so you just need a password, and you can submit passwords to your heart's content. And apparently, in at least some versions, the system doesn't log the password attempts. So there's no record kept that someone is trying and failing to submit a password. Now, consider for a moment that Azure Active Directory is a way for corporate users to sign into a corporate account and then connect to all integrated corporate systems and devices. It's a one login solution, in other words. So you might use it to log into like your corporate email, but then it also logs you into the corporate HR system or maybe like a project management system that all of these different things, because they have the one login approach, you already have authorization, so you're not frustrated by the fact that you have to authenticate every single time you try to access any company system. It's meant to make things more streamlined, right? As long as you are able to authenticate that one gateway, you can access everything. So that means that this is a potential huge security vulnerability, right? If a hacker targets an Azure AD uh, login and they have a username and they're just submitting passwords and those failed passwords aren't getting logged. So no system administrators are aware of this because there's no, you know, notification popping up saying, hey, so-and-so has submitted 5,783 incorrect guesses for their password. Maybe you need to look into this. Then you could just keep on attacking until you got a hit and managed to get into the system. If you would like to learn more about what scenarios this would work in and what you need to be on the lookout for, I really recommend reading Axe Sharma's post on Ars Technica. It is titled, New Azure Active Directory Password Brute Forcing Flaw Has No Fix. That headline kind of says it all. All right, we've got some more news stories to cover, but before we get to that, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with Naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com/hypergig for details. If you are in the United States, you might remember that a couple of years ago, the Chinese telecommunications company Huawei fell under a lot of scrutiny here in America. And in part, this was because then President Trump had engaged in a trade war with China. And so at least some of that motivation for the pressure on Huawei was, you know, political trade pressure. But there was also a growing concern that a Chinese company, one that presumably has important and tight connections with China's communist government, might not be the best fit when it comes to building out telecommunications infrastructure. So in other words, if you're worried about potential Chinese spies, maybe it's better not to hire a Chinese communications company to install critical infrastructure components within your own communications network. Like, it's like, opening the door for potential spies, in other words. So the U.S. moved to push American communications companies to scuttle Huawei systems and to replace them with other systems. Now the Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, says it has created a nearly $2 billion program to reimburse telecom carriers that are going through the process of removing and replacing Huawei network hardware from their systems. These telecom companies are largely in rural areas in the United States, and I'm sure that that relief is a literal relief to them. These are not necessarily your gigantic uh, coast-to-coast companies, in other words. Video game company Activision Blizzard has entered into a settlement agreement with the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. This was in response to a lawsuit that the EEOC brought against the company following multiple allegations of issues ranging from a hostile work environment to sexual harassment to pay disparity and discrimination. 
As part of the settlement, Activision Blizzard will create a fund that will compensate employees who claim damages. So employees will submit a claim, it will be evaluated, and then determined whether or not that employee merits getting uh, money from this fund. And the total amount in that fund is in the neighborhood of $18 million. Any unclaimed funds after a certain period of time will end up going to nonprofit organizations dedicated to attracting more women to enter into the video game development industry. Bobby Kodak, the CEO of the company, says that he and the executive team are dedicated to putting an end to the toxic work environment, which I really hope is a sincere statement. I mean, the cynical part of me says, well, of course, you want to bring an end to that because it's costing you money. As long as it wasn't costing you money, there was no real incentive. But the hopeful part of me says, we're trying to get better and people genuinely want to make workplaces a more positive environment. So the optimist will continue to hope and the cynic will continue to mistrust. A researcher at the Ethereum Foundation named Virgil Griffith has pled guilty to charges that he helped the country of North Korea get around U.S. sanctions that aimed to prevent North Korea from using blockchain technology. And that needs some explanation. So first of all, Ethereum is a type of cryptocurrency. And when we talk about cryptocurrency, a lot of people just think Bitcoin. Or maybe if they're in it for the memes, they might think Dogecoin. Ethereum is another big popular cryptocurrency that is currently trying to switch from a proof of work approach, which is what Bitcoin uses. That's where you're using very fast computers to try and solve a very hard computer problem before anyone else can. And it's the reason why these systems end up consuming so much energy and as a result contribute to things like carbon emissions and you know energy spikes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Ethereum is trying to move to a proof-of-stake approach, which does not require that kind of computational processing power in order to mine new coins. However, it does mean that you have to have a sufficient stake in Ethereum in order to earn interest, more Ethereum. Uh, and so some people point out that that approach means that you already have to be wealthy in order to even enjoy that potential payout. So upsides and downsides. Anyway, like Bitcoin, Ethereum uses blockchain to track transactions and to prevent people from spending the same Ethereum unit twice. You know, if you have something that's digital, then arguably you could just copy it a billion times. And so now instead of having $1 bill, you have a billion dollar bills. Blockchain prevents that kind of stuff from happening. Well, back in 2019, Virgil Griffith attended a blockchain conference in Pyongyang, and the U.S. government alleges that Griffith's presentation at the conference was, in effect, an instruction manual for how North Korea could make use of blockchain technologies, despite U.S. sanctions meant to prevent that very thing from happening. Griffith was arrested upon returning from the conference, and his trial was set to begin next week, but he decided to plead guilty to the charges, which could mean he could face up to 20 years in prison. We'll have to follow up on this as we learn more once we get to sentencing. Tesla has started to open up its full self-driving or FSD program to a larger number of Tesla drivers, prompting them with a request feature that appears on the dashboard touchscreen. So you, you know, select it and then you can put in your request to be part of the program. So now if you have a Tesla that's capable of supporting FSD, you can ask to have that feature enabled on your Tesla. Except there is a catch. 
The company will run a safety check on each driver, checking their driving against five criteria to be certain that the drivers are responsible and safe. Those criteria include instances in which the driver prompted a forced autopilot disengagement. So autopilot is a driver assist feature that some Tesla owners have famously abused by treating it more as like a fully autonomous vehicle mode. And this particular feature asks drivers that they keep their hands on the wheel and they maintain their attention on the road. And if a driver does not do this, then the mode is supposed to alert the driver and disengage and thus force the driver to take over manual control of the car. So if that had happened, that would be a strike against you. That would that would knock points off your safety score. But other criteria include stuff like how frequently the car had to engage features like a forward collision warning, which might indicate that you're following too closely or not paying enough attention, or how frequently the driver had to use hard braking. Again, maybe you were traveling too fast or you brake too late when you're coming up to stops. Uh, so you have to accrue a sufficient safety score before you will be given access to subscribe to FSD. But Tesla is not actually saying what that score threshold is. Only the drivers will be judged out of a total possible 100 points, and most folks will land somewhere around 80 points. The FSD product requires a monthly subscription of $199 a month, which is a princely sum. Uh, Tesla also offered a, a, a version where you could just buy it outright for the life of the car for $10,000. And I've got a lot of thoughts about this. And one of those is that the name of it, full self-driving, is just as misleading as the name autopilot is. Because it's really just more features that augment autopilot. So it can do stuff like, in at least some cases, have a car navigate out of a parking space on its own. So you can have it pull out of a, a space. So then you get into the car, you don't have to squeeze by and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it doesn't always work in every situation. And it can also do things like obey traffic signals and stop signs so it can travel on surface streets in this mode and not just on highways. It can navigate from one highway to another, but it is not true self-driving, or at least it's not truly fully self-driving. It can't autonomously operate the car in all situations and scenarios. And many critics, including myself, have argued that the name doesn't reflect what the product actually does. Also, I find it somewhat telling that the company refers to the system as full self-driving, but it is requiring drivers who are applying for this to pass a safety test before they get access to the features. Because if it were really a full self-driving feature, you would want bad drivers to get that, right? I mean, if the vehicle is capable of driving itself, which I argue full self-driving at least heavily implies, presumably it will do so safely without the risk of an accident. And it makes more sense to give bad drivers that service and thus remove their human error from the road. But the fact that Tesla requires drivers to meet a minimum safety requirement tells me that that's not really what FSD does, right? Like if it really did that, then you wouldn't need the safety check. If you need a safety check, you need to make sure that the person who's driving the car is going to be responsible, which tells you that FSD is not really FSD. It's an augmentation system, not a truly autonomous system. And I've got a lot of really 
critical thoughts about Tesla doing this kind of stuff, because I feel that they set an unrealistic expectation in their customer base. And then people have an over-reliance on technology that is not able to measure up to what the people are putting it to. Like they're putting way too much responsibility on the tech and the tech just isn't up to the challenge. And part of that is fueled by the way Tesla markets its technology. Um, so yeah, I think it's reprehensible if I'm being, you know, blunt. All right, uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a break and uh, I, I'm gonna find a way down off this high horse. But uh, we'll be back with some more news in just a second. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids how about instead of timeouts time ins time for you to start paying some bills i'm jb smooth and that was a full episode of my new podcast straightforward inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from at&t fiber get what you want without the complicated at&t fiber live like a giggillionaire available wherever you get your podcast limited availability in select areas visit att.com slash hypergig for details Okay, we're back. Now, by the time you hear this episode, Amazon will have held a hardware event and revealed some new products, potentially a bunch of new ones. 
the event was invitation only. I did not get an invite. That's hurtful. So I have no idea what it is that they revealed. In fact, as I record this, the event has not yet happened, but it will within like 25 minutes of me saying this sentence. The Verge has made some guesses as to what could be revealed, so I thought I would share with you what The Verge is guessing, and then you can compare and see if The Verge got it right. And I hope they did, because I really, actually, I really like that site a lot. Anyway, The Verge predicts that Amazon will likely have a wall-mounted Echo device. So, you know, another smart speaker screen device that you could actually mount on your wall. They also are predicting that there's probably going to be a soundbar system with Alexa integration in it. I mean, we're already seeing soundbars that have Alexa integration uh, incorporated into them, but this would be an official like Echo soundbar type thing. There's also the possibility that the company will have a dash cam for cars that has Alexa integration built into it. That seems to be, uh, you know, a pretty safe bet. But one thing that The Verge says we probably will not see is more information about a robot that Amazon has had in development for several years. It's a home assistant robot that was called Vesta, but apparently there have been some concerns within the company that there might not be sufficient demand for Vesta and that if Amazon released it as a product, it could just be a total flop and that it would end up costing the company more because not enough people would buy it. So it's possible that the company is actually backing away from that project. We will have to wait and see what it is they said, or you won't have to wait and see, because like I said, by the time you hear this, they've already had that event. Anyway, Amazon is also facing some opposition in the state of California, and it's not the only one. Governor Newsom signed a bill into law last week that will require companies that employ more than 1,000 warehouse workers that they will have to disclose how they judge worker productivity, including how they set productivity quotas. Amazon and other companies that meet that criteria will then have 30 days after the bill becomes an actual law, which will happen on January 1st, 2022. At that point, they will have to disclose how they measure productivity and how they collect that information. And this law gives employees the right to sue their employers for unsafe quotas. So if a company is like working people beyond reason, if the quotas are so stringent and so restrictive that people can't, you know, go to the bathroom uh, or they can't take a reasonable number of breaks or they run the risk of injuring themselves because they have to work so hard in order to meet very high quotas, well, now those employees could potentially sue their employers and the employers would be held accountable for that in a court of law, at least in California. Now, it will take quite a bit of effort on the part of workers in this process. It's not like a worker can just step forward and say, I don't like working here and I'm going to sue the company. The law will demand that workers who assert that the company they work for has unsafe quotas they will be required to provide 90 days, so three months worth of documentation on productivity quotas that they have to meet in order to be considered you know, successful or failing at their job. In addition, California regulators will also be authorized to investigate work sites that have an injury rate that is one and a half times or greater than the industry average. Uh, if you remember from a previous tech news episode, I talked about how uh, Amazon delivery centers have an unusually high injury rate compared to other Amazon facilities and other you know, facilities within 
the delivery and warehouse industries, that might be a case where a a state regulator would have the authorization to go in and conduct a full investigation to get to the bottom of why is that happening and to hold the company accountable for it. Down under in Australia, and I apologize for that. I know my, I, I could never do an Australian accent. Australian and Scottish are two that I will never, ever, ever be able to do. Anyway, down in Australia, citizens can rest assured that nature, which, as I understand it, is 80% more deadly in Australia, is prepared to fight the robot uprising. Now, I say that because the drone company Wing, which is part of Google's parent company, Alphabet, so this is like Google and Waymo, part of the Alphabet family, Wing has put its delivery service, which uses drones to deliver packages, on pause, following a few cases of bird attacks on their drones. Google has been conducting tests of home delivery via drone in Canberra, Australia, which has been particularly useful during the pandemic, where a lot of Australia is on lockdown and there are very stiff restrictions on when, if at all, people are allowed to leave their homes. Uh, but ravens have taken to attacking the drones, presumably out of concern that the drones are a predator. It is nesting season. And so there's a fear from these ravens, apparently, that the drones are predators. Uh, not predator drones. Those are different. That's kind of a pun. So the ravens are just sort of protecting their nests, in other words. At least one of the attacks has downed a drone. So I'm very glad to hear this news uh, because I would worry that the drones could potentially cause harm to the birds. And obviously, I also worry that the birds could cause some packages to go undelivered. And if those packages are like critical, like maybe it's medication or something, that could be a really bad thing. And also, I bet it's weird to fill out a report saying you never got your package because birds were roughing up the delivery person. Anyway, Wing is studying ways to work around this issue, including learning more about bird behavior and any measures that the company could take to make certain their drones cause no environmental harm. And finally, on Monday, TikTok said it had passed the 1 billion monthly user mark. Uh, that would be active users. The install base is actually quite a bit larger than that. Of course, some people have TikTok installed on more than one of their own devices, so it's not an apples to apples thing. TikTok launched in August 2018, so it took a little more than three years to reach 1 billion monthly users. Let's compare that to Facebook. The king of social network platforms reached 1 billion users eight years after the company launched. TikTok did it in less than half that time. TikTok is really a true beast of a player in the social networking space. Its parent company, ByteDance, reported its revenue doubled in size from 2019 to 2020, thanks largely to TikTok. Now, I'm behind the times on TikTok. Uh, I am thankful that the app reminded me of that great Mika song, Grace Kelly. You know, that's the one where everyone's going, I could be brown, I could be blue, I could be violet sky. Great song, great album. Actually went out and bought that album on vinyl after being reminded of that song that I hadn't thought about in years. So thank you, TikTok. I appreciate it. As for myself, I have only ever done one TikTok video it is terrible. That's all I have to say about that. But, you know, I'm also old. So I, I there are other old people who are way better at TikTok than I am. I, it, I just don't think I'm ever going to get there. Maybe I'll give it another try at some point. Anyway, that's it. That's the tech news that I have for you on Tuesday, September 28th, 2021. I hope you are all well. If you have anything you would like to share with me, maybe a topic you would like me to cover on tech stuff, 
then reach out to me on Twitter. The handle for the show is techstuffhsw, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.